Hello, welcome to Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about League of Legends. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you let the folks tell them what it is we do on this podcast? <laughs> well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And when we first started this podcast, we used to talk about this game all the time. Uh, League of Legends was one of the first big games that we were playing together um and commonly and we had multiple episodes in the beginning of our run that was that were dedicated to playing you know to talking about various the, aspects the, of league the yeah. various aspects of league right and then overwatch came out quite literally overwatch came out actually my very last game of league of legends ever was on may 24th of 2016 the next day overwatch came out and i never played league until now, after that. Yeah. Um, since then, so it's been three years, right? So three years goes by, and uh, and now we're playing League. Since then, League has changed a lot. New champions have been released. New items have been released, which I think is a big deal. Um, and a lot of different kind of mechanics and the way the games work, all of that stuff has kind of changed around. N- even including the addition of a new rank called iron (laughs) which is below bronze because people were having a hard time getting out of bronze elo hell isn't real hashtag (laughs) um and so and so uh teamfight tactics came out and we were watching a bunch of teamfight tactics videos i started playing again and hooking up with some of my old friends that were playing that has cascaded into a bunch of us having kind of fallen back into the game and now we are at Today, July 9th, July, not 19th, 11th of 2019, where I have played probably more than 50 games over the past three weeks, four weeks, um, of, of League of Legends since kind of coming back. Yeah, um, I have played significantly less than that. Um, I also played, I think, like a month or two past you when we quit. Um, but uh, the, the thing that struck me the most is you, you talk about how League has changed which is, you know, the, the, the COD take, but the I think it goes more with the, the Fallout take, which is League, League never changes, uh, is kind of impressive to me how much it feels the same, even with kind of the little differences, um, up to including, like, the social dynamics um, that, that kind of surrounded it. Um, okay. Not, not necessarily our, our group social dynamics, but it's kind of like, you know, the way that games go, the kind of feelings of frustration and elation, and, like, how sometimes that boils into toxicity. I have managed in, like, I would say about the five to ten games I've played, managed to hit all of those kinds of bases. Um, and been like, wow, it's like I never stopped playing modulo a couple of heroes and a couple of champion uh, changes. Um Honestly, that was probably the hardest part for me was not new champions, but champions that had changed out from under me. Like Oh, like Evelyn or someone like that, right? Or or in my case in particular, Swain. I picked Swain because it was like, I know how to play Swain. No, I don't know how to play Swain. Um, <laughs> yeah, that has definitely been part of uh part of the learning curve. For the first couple of days, I just like 
was free low for anyone playing fucking Pike because I just didn't understand his abilities. And people would describe his abilities to me, and I just, like, could not fathom them. I was like, what? He goes invisible, and then he stuns you, and then he hooks you. It's just, like, all this stuff, like, completely doesn't work. And it eventually took me having to, like, sit down and, like, do research and, like, watch a couple of videos of people playing this dude in order to understand him. And I still have not gotten to each of the champion's that were not released by the time that I quit. It's actually very it's it's very uh convenient for me because I used to own all of the champions, but I have never seen Zoe in a game before, for instance, right? Same. So like I have no idea what she's like. Is she good? Is she bad? I hear she's like nidally, but like what 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 are you going to do about, you know, about any of those kinds of uh uh any of those kinds of things. Yeah, plus um, p- plus I, one one of the things I think like kind of impacted at least the, the play sessions more is the little changes where things work mostly the way that you think they did, but not exactly the same. And so you're a little bit off also just kind of like the wear downs of time. But, um, but uh, I am kind of impressed though, how much I retained. Um, and, and I think, I think um, what, what, what was interesting about that in particular to me is that MOBAs as a genre have this notorious learning curve. Um, but once you're over the learning curve of your first MOBA, it kind of translates and it is kind of like riding a bike, right? Like I came back in and it's not like any of the fundamentals were, were gone or changed or didn't make a lot of sense to me. It's just kind of the particulars of the game I was playing and, you know, a couple of the different champions, which, um, I guess is comforting maybe. I don't know. It's, it's interesting at the very least. I do have to say that since playing League, I have branched out into other, well, really just MOBA, right? Um, I have branched out into uh, Heroes of the Storm, right? And one thing that I will say about that is that I feel like League is particularly punishing when it comes to, like, knowledge of the champions. Possibly this is just because, like, Heroes of the Storm is a little bit more of, like, I don't want to. I don't want to call it casual, but like a party game in a way. Like it's you and your buds, and you're just kind of like having fun. And it is just like not as intimately competitive in the same way that like League of Legends is. One of the big differences being that in there is no such thing as laning phase in in Hots, right? Like people generally kind of group up in the mid lane and then one or two people might go to push and soak experience in another lane sort of thing but in general it is a game where the team works as a you know like works as a team together and there's just like a lot of like team fighting and stuff kind of happening and one of the other pieces of that is that like because you're never it's not like I'm ever going to end up in the top lane where I have to go 15 minutes one on one with Darius and I've never seen Darius before in my life do you know what I mean because like the 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 rest of the team is kind of there to help bail me out in those um in those kinds of situations so i do think that there are particulars to the construction and the design of league of legends that exacerbate shall we say um the uh the kind of knowledge base problem and i think it comes with the flip side benefit of right like this is a very competitive game with people who think about it on a very high competitive level and so the they're just like less like fucking around i guess it feels like it feels like every game that i've been playing since coming back has been against 
Actually, you know what you know what the best example I can think of is playing like ranked in Hearthstone, especially at the higher ranks. Because everyone understands the meta and we're all playing net decks and we're all playing meta stuff, right? And you are doing your, you know, control warrior versus like tempo rogue matchup or whatever. And that is a feeling that comes across very thoroughly in League. Um just because I guess the the community that has developed around it has gotten that much more competitive and has wanted to be that much better and has wanted to win that many more games, right? We now have players who are talking about like lane priority and you know all of these other kinds of like abstract strategic concepts that I feel like in season three were kind of nah, by the wayside. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think I I, I think I do. Um. Uh, I do kind of want to say, though, that the, the kind of truism that, like, most of that doesn't matter in bronze and it matters much less than people think it matters in bronze or, you know, in, in, in the lower elos is still true. Um, you know, still people who are like, oh, you, you got to go follow the men. It's like, no, you, you really don't so much when you're playing against a bunch of noobs. Um, it's, not, it's, it's just, you know, I guess the point being that, like, it's not like bronze got any better. Like... You know, the, the joke is that iron is now bronze, but I don't think that's really true. I feel like bronze is still bronze, and iron actually is a lower rank than... I actually... You know. Oh, see, that's funny, because I've actually been watching some Salty Teemo, um, which is... Salty Teemo is a streaming thing, and what they do is they spectate the lowest MMR game in the U.S., right? Um, almost always, it's like iron four, right, you know, four v... Like, five v five kind of things, Um and I have to say that I'm a little bit surprised at how well those people are playing, especially considering, like, I remember I used to watch Salty Teemo when it was, like, Bronze 5 games, right? Um, and th they played terribly in those Bronze 5 games. Uh, and I don't quite understand, like, how... It just feels like the entire player base has kind of just, like, gotten not a lot better, but, like, a little bit better. And there, and some of the, you know... Some things are always going to be true, I think, about some of those, like, lower-level players. Like, um, you know, their CS is always really bad. And, you know, like, they get, like, picked and stuff like that. Um, but you see them, like, engage in some of these weird strategic kind of, like, split-push strategies. Like, this literally happened. I was watching a Jax, and he was doing okay in the top lane. And he was split-pushing while his team had a dragon fight. And he, like, used his TP to TP into the dragon ward and helped his team win that fight fight and i was like that's again you know it's not the most advanced fucking play in the world but i feel like the old version of bronze that Jax would have just kept pushing and he never would have used his tp like that do you know what i mean he just would have used tp to get back to lane or something stupid like that so to see a, a uh even just like the basic tactical knowledge of using your summoner spell that way was kind of enlightening um at least in you know this anecdotal yeah, one so, game that i saw so, so that's interesting Maybe maybe what it is is that, like, the absolute bottom has actually fallen off. Um, like, you know, people who are just playing as a thing to do, you know, stopped caring after three years. And so you have to, you know, if you're still playing and you're that bad, you have at least a base level of competence, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, and I also think that um, the wealth of kind of, like, ancillary content has also helped out. This yeah. is something that I've also sensed, you know, like, this is something that's truer 
on like for like wow right because it has a much broader spectrum wow from 2004 to now but there's a lot of support structures that exist now in terms of like you know wow head proc rates on trinkets and like simming yourself and like going to right and seeing people in the mythic plus world race or something kind of along those lines and in league you have like the lcs you have champion.gg you don't have as many people who are just kind of like looking at the shop and going like oh well i'm playing ash and it tells me that I should go, you know, Infinity Edge, but I think I'm going to go Blade of the Ruined King or, you know, like whatever else kind of thing. Um, just because I feel like that there is a, there is a, an accessibility to the knowledge base, um, that has been increasing. And as people understand, oh, you take teleport so that you can split push and then TP into the team fight, right? That's a basic thing, but it's not something that we ever really like even even in kind of like our goldy silver sort of levels of play that's something that we fucked up all the time back in the day um and so yeah yeah um the other thing that i have noticed a lot about my new league games is how snowbally they feel and this is a tough this is a tough thing to really evaluate because so much of it is based on my own kind of like recollection of the game when i left off of it um, mostly because, like, this just could be the fucking, like, Mandela effect, right? But I remember the game being one where it was harder to close out the game, and it was a lot less about kind of winning the laning phase. But nowadays, it seems like winning the lane it translates into a winning the game pretty often, right? Um, in the olden days, by my recollection, which as I said, might be flawed sort of things. In the olden days, it always kind of felt like if you won lane, great, but you have to transition that advantage into like mid-game team fights and like late-game objectives in order to like actually close things out. Now it feels like winning the winning lanes always seems to snowball for like the winners side and also and this is just like weird and maybe just coincidental or maybe it's like a reflection of the way that you know if i win my lane i can go roam around the map kind of thing um it also feels like all either all three lanes win or all three lanes lose every single game i don't i don't feel like there are too many games where like one lane dominates and the other two you know feed or yeah. vice versa. Yeah, like that I, kind of thing. I, I wonder if if that's like, you know, you're, you, it speaks to your theory of increased kind of player IQ, where as before the games you were playing, people would be more hesitant to uh, kind of take advantage of those uh, of those asymmetries to kind of snowball the laning phase. Um, maybe something of it has to do with the fact that the laning phase is a little bit more rigidly enforced with tower armor right now. Um, uh, something that I think that I've noticed, at least, is the... The assassins feel a lot more assassiny, um, um, but I think when we left, it was kind of at a historical low point for assassins because, um, I, if, if I remember correctly, the, the kind of mantra at the time was like unre- you know un- unreacted or unresponsive gameplay isn't fun, um, uh, and maybe they just kind of fixed some of that stuff. But it feels like the assassins are stronger than we were when we left. We were also kind of left, I think, around a tank meta, so. Maybe the positioning of the meta, which I don't really know a lot about, is just different enough from there that it's just like a standard meta shift thing. Um, yeah, I mean, that that definitely can be the case. I think the the biggest change for assassins has been itemization. Um, for a long time, I feel like Deathfire Grasp kind of like defined assassins, and they were all kind of like these AP assassins, and there just like wasn't very good 
AD itemization. And before we left, but like, this was pretty soon before we left, um, they introduced a bunch of um, assassin AD assassin items that were very, very strong into the game that allowed AD assassins like Zed, right, or like, you know, Kha'Zix or someone like that, uh, Talon, to leverage their advantage um, more into, like, the kind of, like, mid and late game. It used to kind of be, like, Assassins would get their Brutalizer, right, and they would get, like, a Brutalizer into Yomu's, into, like, Last Whisper, and maybe, like, a Bloodthirster or whatever, and once, and, like, that's three items, but that was it. That was the, those are the items they got, and if they got those items, they were in a pretty good spot. Um, I'm not really sure... If it is purely an itemization thing, I also think a big deal uh, is with the now, like, revamped and combined runes and mastery system, um, which allow champions to take these kind of big, powerful effects that synergize with their kits. And a lot of assassins will take the ability Electrocute, which just adds extra burst damage when they hit you with, you know, a a combo of three spells or uh, attacks. So... I don't know, maybe something kind of along those lines. It's really it's really tough for me to break it down and find uh and find a real answer. Um just because there are so many different pieces of the game that feel like they've changed. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely definitely feel that. Um, I do also think that um uh you know, in the same way and in the same kind of breath that we talk about the assassin changes though i think part of that is also the the junglers uh this reminds me a lot of the season three meta where jungling was basically all about just ganking as hard as you possibly could and so that has been uh, a big staple of the games that i've seen a lot of like level three ganks you know clearing you know two or three camps and then grabbing uh and then grabbing a kill or like blowing flashes in one way in one lane or another there's a lot of carry junglers like kane being played kane is like a new champion with like a scythe and he's kind of like an ad he's a little bit like an assassin a little bit like a light fighter kind of like fiora or yasuo too um and so i think that helps out the assassin meta a lot because you have this big proactive jungler who you can kind of team up with if you're talon or something you guys all go bot lane and get like a big powerful kind of kill Yeah, no, I, uh, I think I've seen that as well. Um, although, I don't know, it's like, I so I've, I've been playing a lot of Pike support. Um, as as was was kind of revealed in this podcast, Pike was the reason I went back. Um, uh, and it feels it feels like there's less bottom ganks. I don't know why. Maybe maybe I'm just that good at warding, but I don't think so. Um, I wonder. Do you do you, do you have uh, any feelings on the positioning of ganks? Um, um I, I feel like maybe bot laners have been playing a lot safer. Maybe this is just kind of like a low player player or low elo player IQ thing again, right? Like I'm not going to be dominant in lane, so I'm going to just play safe and try and, and try and uh, feed up. or Something whatever. that I have seen, um, which I think is a shift that we kind of noted at the time, but has kind of fully metastasized at this point. There used to be a mantra where you do not gank for your losing lanes, right? Which was sort of a change from a previous mantra which was something like you gank the most vulnerable lanes so if i'm playing you know if i'm playing Jax against darius and i'm really pushed up in that top lane and maybe i've already killed darius like 1v1 we all end or something like that right like 
in the olden days, there was this idea that the jungler was expected, if the Jaxes pushed up really hard, the jungler was expected to come top. You guys would team up and kill Jax, get Darius back into that lane a little bit, get a little bit of kind of like equity, um, and then sort of like moved on. And then sort of before we left, there was this idea that like, don't gank for your losing lanes, right? Gank for your winning lanes, um, which wasn't always followed and wasn't always perfect and didn't always, you know, like, work correctly. But now I feel like people are always ganking for their losing lanes. Like, the junglers laser target the lane that is doing the best, and they hound that lane, right? Because then it frees them up to take those tower plates. Um, Just to explain to people who haven't played the game in a long time, what they added for tower plates is basically for the first 14 minutes of the game, they quintuple the tower's health. So it is five times as much health as it normally has, right? And that health is divided into five tower-sized chunks, right? And each chunk, like, gives the people who are taking that tower down gold equivalent to you know, about 160 gold split between, you know, like the two people. So if you are in the bottom lane and you're really wrecking or something like that and you're constantly shoving it into their turret and you have Caitlyn who can just kind of like safely plink away at their turret, you can clear two or three tower, you know, like two or three tower plates and get a bunch of extra gold just off of like your strong shoving and your ability to sort of like siege up in the laning phase. And then at 14 minutes that disappears and the towers get just conventional sort of like health bars and they do global gold like they like they kind of used to um but so the ability of like if i'm doing really well in the mid lane and my jungler keeps coming mid and helping me out us to go get tower plates or then us to go roam throughout the map go kill the enemy jungler go invade his side of the jungle right like all of that kind of stuff is a lot more powerful now it feels like in a certain sense i almost sort of think that um that League of Legends players kind of under like like learned the concept of tempo from like a card game, and now League of Legends is all about tempo, whereas it used to be a little bit more of a value oriented game. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know if I quite get your analogy, but I think I understand your concept. Okay, okay. Let, let me lay, let me lay this out because now that I've stumbled on this, I think it's a really. I think it's true. Okay, so tempo in a card game is about maximizing your if your resources efficiently on the axis of time, right? And in general, what this means is, like, if it's turn one, I play a powerful one-mana card. If it's turn two, I pay a powerful two-mana card. If it's turn three, I play a powerful three-mana card. I want things that impact the board immediately and are big threats that take the initiative away from my opponent, right? And there is always this balance between tempo and value in card games games like Hearthstone, right? Because tempo is always going to skew lower in the on kind of the efficiency curve because you want to get something out every turn. You want to be using your mana as efficiently as possible. Whereas value is where you want to be drawing lots of cards and you want to have big powerful things inside of your deck so that once you run the end, once you play enough defense, you can then swing the game into a powerful, overwhelming offense and it's like, yep, I have Gramash Hellscream and he's going to do 10 to your face and you can't remove him because, you know, I, I, I beat you out kind of thing. In the old version of League of Legends, tempo was useful, right? So, like, winning in that kind of, like, early game and then transitioning to the mid-game, that was, like, that was useful, but you weren't looking to kind of just, like, hard-close games by that sort of, like, 25-minute mark, right? It was almost always 
you either won or lost the laning phase, and then you spent some time in that mid-game team fight phase. Maybe you claw your way back, right? And maybe you and maybe you press your advantage, right? And you either get tempoed out or you get kind of like outvalued. In League of Legends, we think of outvaluing as like outscaling. So you get something like a Kogma or a Vayne online with a three or four item power spike, and now all of a sudden Vayne is so much more powerful and so much more useful than the enemy, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, then the enemy ash kind of thing um now i don't think that happens all that often it just doesn't feel like there are the same kind of there's that same kind of ability to just kind of like stall out the game and keep yourself safe so that your vein can farm up into her three item power spike and then kind of like go nuts anymore do you know what i mean and so that and so that's the shift i feel like the shift was we were we were playing a game that was a lot of that was about sort of valuing and winning the game in sort of the mid, like the late mid late game kind of thing and now it's a game where games end early or they end in that mid game area they tend not to go super late okay that 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 does make sense to me okay and then you're you're pausing. This is kind of like a player IQ thing as well, because because I think I'm on board yeah. with that. And I think and I think part of this ganking and this the reason that I thought of this is like ganking the winning lane that allows you to snowball like that lane and that presence throughout the map. I think is the is the tempo play right. The value play is to go bail out your losing Darius. The value play is when you go to you go to top lane, and even though the Jax is doing really well and he's really strong and everything like that, you pair up with your Darius, you get him back into his lane so that he can kind of end that laning phase evenly, right? But now you don't care about you know if Darius loses, that's fucking his fault who cares we're gonna get way more tempo out of me ganking for the mid lane and then roaming across the map and translating the success of the mid lane into successes in those side lanes so that as soon as my super fed you know whatever azir shows up he just like absolutely houses jacks anyway um and i think that that is a big that's a big difference to me in the way that we kind of structure the strategy of these different um, of these different league matches, and I do sort of wonder, like, is that a reflection of you know people just watch the LCS and they understand that you know you can close out a game on like nine or ten kills because that's all the lead you need to sort of like get ahead and stay ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually super interested in that interaction in particular because like. You know, league started as you know, you know, game first, LCS second. And I I don't know the numbers on any of this, but I wonder how much of it is kind of like, you know, is league more like Madden than they want to give it credit for? In the sense that like players, you know, Sunday morning eighty carry their uh, their their favorite pros, um, or you know, armchair arm armchair eighty carry, not Sunday morning armchair eighty carry. You know what armchair quarterback is? What, what do you mean? I don't know what armchair quarterback. So an armchair is. quarterback is the dude who sits at home and watches his favorite team play, and then when the quarterback screws up, he's like, "Oh, you should have done this. It was obvious, oh, right?" Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like a backseat driver, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But like you know, arm, you know, armchair eighty carries, right? Like how how much of this is people armchair eighty carrying their favorite players and then trying to go implement it, which isn't to say necessarily that you know, in, in the same kind of way that like. It's more about playing around the knowledge base than it is kind of about playing the game, right? Like, you know, if if you just kind of gave people the ingredients to football, um, like, you know, number of men on the field, 
rough variation of the rules, right? Like, it would probably take a while for it to, like, evolve into modern football. Um, but, you know, since we have football the game, the video games that play it all kind of mirror it, right? Like, the plays that you, the, the plays that you can set up in the game um, are all, like, known plays. And I wonder if that, that's this kind of effect that we're seeing here, where instead of people just kind of, like, playing League of Legends as a game and trying to rule around the rules, they're actually just playing kind of to what they see on the, uh, in the LCS. I actually do think that that's a real thing, and it, I, I I don't think it's quite the same because there's not really something super analogous to like Twitch streaming that I feel is another piece of this puzzle. Like I don't I don't really understand the league meta all that much, but um, from talking to people, like something that came out recently is support Lux where she got a couple of changes a couple of patches ago, and it's been running rampant over, you know, Challenger and, like, Diamond and stuff like that, where people are playing support Lux. And then that, like, that filters up, right, into the LCS. Because, you know, the Bjergsons and the Fakers of the world, I don't even know if Faker and Bjergsons will play, but the Bjergsons and the Fakers of the world, right, these are people that also play a lot of solo queue, and so they're seeing a lot of support Lux in their challenger play, and then that challenger play right like translates into pro play which then translates into lower elo solo queue play because you have people who are emulating the pros in gold do you know what i mean and so like that there's like a there's like a sort of symbiotic kind of weird relationship between these three groups um and and you know i just think there's also a lot of people who just watch streamers right like they watch what whoever like night blue god is night blue still playing i don't know any of these i don't know any current fucking league of legends streamers dyrus right like <laughs> um but like you know let's say night blue is playing and he's playing jungle or whatever and he's putting out jungle videos on his youtube channel right like he doesn't need to be a pro to influence the kind of culture of the game, shall we say? Yeah. Um, okay. And influ and and I think that is a, a piece of it where it's like that that challenger pro interaction and the interaction where I follow Night Blue and he's not a pro but he's still a really good player and he teaches me how to play you know jungle whatever kind of thing. I definitely think that all that all of that translates into kind of the more basic play of the game and I think is a pretty good hypothesis for why people are just generally better about like the kind of macro line strategic play in the game. You know, th- th- now this is like directly related, but I'm now I'm wondering if like. The, the hardcore Madden players, like, watch regular ESPN for, like, tips. Because, uh, you know, there, there, is, there is, like, you know, you said you're not sure if there's anything analogous to Twitch. Like, there is, right? Like, ESPN runs, like, f- like all sorts of content about football, especially during the season, all That's the time. Yeah. Um, and I, like, I just don't know if it translates out into Madden. Yeah, that, that is weird because Madden is a system. It's like systemized, right? Yeah, and so I think it's kind of easy. I don't think it's easy, but it's you know, uh, will the systemization of Eli Manning's specific football play style um, also include the way that the you know the shoutcasters on the, an ESPN desk talk about Eli Manning? Um, that is interesting. I don't have a good answer for that. But yeah. That is really interesting. Uh, I wonder if they just watch Madden streamers. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe maybe there's, like, a whole meta to Madden that, like... I, so I'm sure there even... is, but, like, I can't... I cannot imagine a person 
who like loves Madden, but then doesn't go watch regular football when it's on. Like right now it makes sense, right? There's, you know, not a lot of news, right? Because part of this too is that the real life football affects the game of Madden, right? It affects what stats they assign to players in, in the game. And like the affects the rosters of, of the team. So like I guess I guess you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention to real life football to figure out what the next edition of Madden's gonna be like, which is yeah. kind of hilarious. Um, man, all right, that, 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 that's a tangent. But I, I, I man, now I want to go find like a hardcore Madden player and ask him some questions. I do uh, actually also want to like know the answer to. I do want to know like the if, if any of question. you listening at home are hardcore Madden players, write in and let us know. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, this is something that is, like, interestingly, right? Like, this is something that is talked about in the context of other games, too. Like, so, for instance, okay, so I've talked a lot about the different formats, right, and, like, specialist mode for Hearthstone and how that's changed, like, Hearthstone esports and how I think, I think that stuff is really interesting, right? Like, specialist mode allows you to have three different decks that share a bunch of different cards, so it's kind of like you have, you know, three, two, two sideboard uh, versions of your deck, essentially, and it has sort of warped the esports meta to be around the most flexible kind of decks, right? Because the be- the best thing that you can use your additional cards to do is to change up the raw strategy of your deck so that it's something your opponent can't, you know, it's you, you can't just like automatically like build around and counter if that makes sense and i think that that's like that's a really neat interaction and as a follower of hearthstone esports it it is super interesting to see what people are running in their secondary and tertiary decks right and how they are trying to kind of like work around um the like and find the different advantages when it comes to like specialists and stuff like that but the downside is that does not match a ladder experience that a, that a random player who is trying to hit legend in Hearthstone is going to have, right? They do not play the game with other with alternate decks. They don't do two out of threes with their you know with their opponents, right? They don't get to change around their decks based on what their opponent is playing. They don't know that the opponent is going to have you know their like their own sort of sideboard. You when you solo queue in Hearthstone, I mean you can only solo queue in Hearthstone, but when you queue up in Hearthstone ladder, you face one guy and his one deck and you have no idea what you're going to be running into unless you have a good read on, like, the pocket meta of what, like, you know, rank three Hearthstone is at any individual time or whatever. And so there, there's a disconnect, right, between the high-level professional play and the, the solo queue play of the average player. That same disconnect does not exist inside of the kind of mechanics in the format of a game of League of Legends uh, in the LCS and a game of League of Legends played by you and me, right? We are all fundamentally playing the exact same game. And so that, I think, allows people to do this translation effort much easier and in a a much more straightforward way. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. I mean, even, even when you're playing, like, blind pick as opposed to draft pick or whatever, it's still mostly the same right like yeah yeah exactly um yeah with the exception i guess of mirror matchups mirror match is the only thing i think in that that in that pool that would that would really weird it up but whatever um yeah interesting um honestly i don't this is i find all of this stuff fascinating um but uh it's you know it's tough to really like see the answer uh, from afar, I guess I yeah. would kind of, I would kind of say. 
Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it'd be a hard thing to prove anyway, right? Like, yeah. it's just conjecture. Um, although now I'm curious, like, you know, I, like, and if uh, I, this is again going back to the football thing, is just like imagining like a pro Madden player because those do exist. Something else that's interesting to me is that like, like the sports video game world is just so entirely divorced from like the kind of core video game world. Um, uh-huh. But they do exist, and they are very, they are very passionate about what they do but just imagine like some pro player going and like kneecapping a pro football player that way he's worse you know i mean i need to nerf i need to nerf tom brady and they go out and break his, break his <laughs> which would uh you know i feel like we're not too far off of that future um at least in in, in, in some respect wow uh, i don't know uh so uh so you played a bunch of Pike. Have you played or seen? You also played Swain. What has your experience like been with the new champions in the game? Um, so none of the ones I've played have done anything that are that is so super crazy that it feels like it's kind of like way outside of my knowledge space. Um, uh, like Swain is probably the most different, but I feel like. That not like it's not that the mechanics are like weird to like it's it just like there's a lot of info to process rather than rather than it being like weird unique abilities that you have to find the corners of right like at the end of the day it's still a couple different AOE of abilities um and like uh and you know some some damage right like not, none of it's none of it's super crazy um uh and. This is the thing that I've always found to be kind of true about League, that its kind of ability design space is a little bit smaller than, say, Dota's, which was my first experience with the genre. Um, Dota, I felt, was a little bit more willing to just go completely off the wall. Um, I feel the same way about HOTS, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. HOTS because it's, I think, a little bit less serious, right? Like you No, yeah, exactly, right? But you can get away with something like... Um, you can get away with something like Cho'Gall, right? Cho'Gall is two players in one body. Um, they're two different heads of an ogre. One of them is a mage that can't move, and the other one is a warrior that moves around or whatever. And so you have one physical less body on the map, but Cho'Gall is, you know, a, he's, he's, he's a powerhouse. You also have Abathur, right? And one of the things that Abathur does is attach himself in an untargetable way to boost up enemy champions. And I was really interested to see that League had adopted that design in one of their supports, um... Yumi, right, who is this, like, cat thing, and, uh, and she will join up with, uh, she will join up with a different champion and be able to, like, buff their stats and cast spells from them and stuff like that, so I definitely feel like League did not have the same willingness to sort of, like, experiment with those kinds of mechanics. Yeah, um... I, part of that also might be be kind of code stuff. Um, I, I I used to follow their engineering blog. I'm even a little bit past when I played because they had some interesting stuff, um, and uh, they talked a bit about how like so, like some of the spaghetti code stopped some of the uh, so, some like more intense changes. Like when they talked about how they redid their entire projectile system, I was kind of amazed. Um, you oh, know, when did they do that? Oh, that was that was that was while we were still playing the first time around. They redid their whole projectile system? Damn. Yeah. Um, they had to because it was just so, like, screwed up. Um, you know, all the way down to, like, you know, the the kind of 
uh, apocryphal, you know, everything is, is inherits from Timo type of thing, um, which has like some amount of truth to it. But you know, uh, work. I can tell you that working with large legacy code bases um, that were put together to to get to market sometimes are not are not fun to deal with. Uh, but you know, um, yeah. I mean, they've always kind of uh, they've always kind of talked about that sort of. Um, you know, like interaction uh, with with League of Legends, right? Like the amount of tech that they added in really haphazard ways when they were doing their big, I guess I would call it push for new champions, sort of in season two. the The season two, season three era had a new champion coming out once every three weeks, right? And it was this huge, huge influx of new champions into the game at a really constant pace. And they eventually kind of drew back on that now, and so there's probably like 150 champions or so. Um, but, like, there's only been a couple of champions that have come out in, in the last couple of, you know, in the last couple of years, right? There, there are maybe 15 champions that have come out in the last couple of years. There's probably 15 champions that came out in the space of, you know what I mean, like, in the space of a year, yeah. in season two and that continued into season three and season four before they kind of started drawing back on it um and i think that they probably added a lot to the game that was just like oh this is how you know we need a a thing for graves's zone so they can't see you can't see out of it or whatever and i have to imagine that all of like the code for how that stuff it was pretty haphazard yeah no i i would i would have to imagine as well um yeah um yeah uh hmm but kind of kind of in that vein you know you've played more than me have have you found any of the uh any of the champions particularly strange or hard to grok uh i have definitely seen some of the champions be tough uh, Yumi, for instance, I just, like, it's really tough. This, this is part of my frustration. I've been playing a lot of bot lane just because we don't have a lot of AD carries on our, like, in our friends group. A lot of people in our group like to play, you know, top lane and jungle. Um, and so nobody wants to play, like, the squishy auto attacker in the bottom lane kind of thing. And I feel like every bottom lane recently have been these poke bot lanes with Karma has been all over the place. Lux, like I said before, has been all over the place. Um, and Yumi, who, as I said before, is a, you know, is a tough champion to deal with because she, like, attaches to, you know, she attaches to her AD carry. But something that she can do is she can shoot a skill shot, right? But when she's attached to the AD carry, she can choose the skill shot's directioning. So you can't even really, like, hide behind minions because she can just go around the minions, if that makes sense. And you can still outrun it and you can juke it and all this other kind of stuff because it is still, you know, being being kind of controlled. But those sorts of bot lanes have been really tough for me to deal with. And I just really fucking hate those bot lanes. I like... I, I like aggressive and defensive lanes, right? You know, I want a lane that either wants to kill the opponent or wants the opponent to stop them from being killed. The, the, the lanes where it's just like, I poke, 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 poke until you have to like be under turret or else I like kill you or something like that. Um, those lanes are just like really sucky and unfun to play as. The one thing that I do find really interesting about the game is it feels like they have functionally eliminated what I would call, like, the traditional off-meta sort of, like, troll picks in a lot of ways. Um, 
just by the nature of reworking most of the older champions in the game that used to kind of exist under that paradigm. Uh, so, for instance, Warwick got a rework, right? But, like, in our old uh, sort of play group when we would play in these in-houses, AP Warwick was legitimately broken. We just had no way to deal with that one champion by that one player, right? But there, I, it just doesn't feel like there are too many versions of that kind of thing running around anymore. Um, same thing with like AP Rengar, right? Like these, the way the you know the version of things where you are taking a champion that is supposed to be right a tank or something, and then you build them all damage, or you take a champion that is all damage and you build them tank, um, and that champion doing well, all of that seems to be gone, right? Like, the other version of that is kind of like Tank Echo, right? I haven't seen any Tank Echo or Tank Fizz um, since since coming back to the game. Most of the Echoes and Fizzes I see are just kind of straight assassins, like they seem to be uh, designed as. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I can definitely agree with you that, like, you know, most of the off-meta stuff has kind of been quashed to my to my great great sadness but uh you know i don't think that's you know, the end of the world in terms of designing things well i, I did mean, say mm-hmm. when we came when i was talking about this uh, on the podcast a couple of days ago right something that i said was it felt like they took a lot of those off meta builds and just kind of made the meta version of them and so like so for instance pike is a assa- is a support assassin fair right? enough yeah, yeah um yeah. And so, did, did you did you get that did you get that kind of feeling? Um, so I I don't think I've played enough to really feel that, but I definitely like in this. But the specific example of Pike, yeah, I definitely get that he's like they they made a version of Pike that the trolls who want to play an assassin bot lane can play without totally fucking up the game by stealing their AD carries kills, um, because they're supposed to do that, I guess, which is yeah. which is a really interesting design decision. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I do think that there are, you know, you know, we have we have one friend who just only ever plays troll builds, right? And so, you know, he goes AD Chogath in the bottom lane or something kind of like that. So I do think that that stuff just kind of sort of exists, but to my knowledge, it really hasn't ever worked out um, in the same way that like the AP Warwick stuff seemed to have been working out. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I like I just I just haven't played enough to really. Have you seen any off 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 uh, meta builds like in your games? Like, have you seen anything that was really weird? Um, besides like whatever Rohan and D do. Yeah, see, even D. So D is the is the is the friend of ours who plays the off meta Warwick build. Um, even D seems to have latched on to a champion called Kled, and he right. just plays Kled. But he plays Kled very normally, right? Like all of all yeah, of the Kled. Tr- Kled is kind of a troll champion in by design. Yeah, you're you're, you're right. So um, I don't know. Maybe uh, I'm trying to think of something kind of along those lines. Part of it is is that you know I legitimately don't have a good sense for how certain champions work, um, and so there might be an instance where like. I have seen sort of I, I have seen some okay, I will say I have seen a lot more off meta, like eighty carryless comps in the current age than I used to see. Right? Every game in the old times used to always have an eighty carry. And most games, you know, do now. But I've seen I've definitely played in like four 
or five different games where they go, you know, the the opponent goes like Pantheon Shaco Bottom or something like that with like just the goal of like bursting down the enemy AD carry. And I think that those strategies are they're definitely off meta and they're definitely like a little bit trolly, but I think that those strategies are I guess I would say powerful um specifically because the 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 snowballing nature of the game um, and, like, these kinds of assassins, right? Like, traditionally, your AD carry is your late-game protection, right? He is the big value card in your deck so that even if you get tempoed out, you can still kind of compete in the late game. Uh, but if so many games are really only going to 25 minutes because they're just these blowouts, I don't think it compares... I, I suppose. Um, I don't think it compares in the same way where it used to be, you know, yeah, sure, you can do, like, Garen, Darius, bottom lane, and even if you get a couple of kills, but transition that into a mid-game team comp, and you're going to have a lot harder time um, if you don't put an AD carry kind of somewhere else in the, um, in the I, I think that's part of it, too, though, right? Because, like, the, the couple of times I've seen it, I, there's been, like, something resembling an AD carry somewhere, so may, maybe, you know, your, your point about, you know, they've made meta versions of all the off-meta builds. Maybe the fact that you can play, like, a Quinn top or a Jace top. Not Jace the right one? The one with the, the, the hammer and the, and the gun. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, no, I think that that's very fair. Like, Kindred is a great example yeah. of this, right? Um, where Kindred is a jungle AD carry, whatever they call it, marksman. Um, Graves is like a jungle marksman sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I actually do think that that is uh, that's very real. That's really legitimate. They also did something where they added um, they added a champion called Kaisa who does like all of this on hit AP damage. Like her whole kit is like AP, but she's like an AP auto attacker. Um, so that like you know if you have Garen top, yeah, you know Yasuo middle or something like that, you aren't on the hook in the same way for having an all AD comp. It used to kind of be like having a Talon meant you had to have AP in the jungle or in the top lane or else your whole damage was just going to be like a full AD comp kind of thing. But now with Kai'Sa, you can have Kai'Sa in the bottom lane who is your primary source of magic damage and then um, you you have, you know, Yasuo Garen, whatever. Zed. Um, Zed as your, as your AD champions who are kind of Pro, like providing that diversified threat. Yeah, no, that that, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. Um. Hmm. Any any? Do you have any other notes on uh on on league as it's been? So uh, it's changed, there is rather? another. Do you do you? By the way, do you like the tower change? The 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 uh, the armor change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like it forces you into landing phase for like ten minutes, twenty. minutes. I don't know. I, I maybe I, just, I, I don't feel like I have a strong opinion on it. Okay. Um, yeah. What about you? What do you What do you think? So I do think I like it uh, specifically because of the way that they. Um, I guess because of the way that they talk about um, wanting the laning phase to be a preserved sort of thing. So this is a, this has always been since kind of season two when Koreans showed up and they started doing lane swaps by sending their top lane or bottom and their bottom lane top um, and pushing and doing all of this other kind of stuff, right? Um, it seems like the 
the way the games play out has frustrated Riot to a certain extent with like with all of that stuff because they've implemented a whole bunch of different sort of measures to stop these lane swaps from happening. And I have watched zero LCS since I've come back to League. So for all I know, people are lane swapping just to go get all of the plate gold. Um, but it seems like they really want the, you know, like they really want the early game to be this laning phase where it's just you versus one or two other people kind of thing. The junglers moving all across the map before people are really like grouping up and moving uh, along a more open, uh, I guess I should say like map space. Um, and so in terms of all of those pieces of the puzzle, I think the tower plates are probably the very best way that they could implement that without, you know, without kind of just, like, being overly punitive. Something that, that people always talked about was just make the towers immune to damage for the first however long, right? For the first ten minutes of the game, the t- just towers can't take damage. But I do think that that is a bad option because if you do something kind of along those lines, right? Like, the first ten minutes of the game, towers take no damage. What you end up with is a world where if I really dominate my lane, I don't see too much benefit from it. Um, In the same way where it's like, if I really dominate my lane and I go clear some plates, that's really useful, right? That's a ton of gold. Clearing two plates is getting a kill. Um, And so... I feel like I feel like that's a big change that I like a lot. I also just think that they added so many items to the game, which is probably a good thing, and I'm happy about it. Um, something that was... I feel like this is something that, that has always been a problem for League, where the items inside of the game... There were some champions who could utilize them really well, and some champions who couldn't, right? Um... And as champions got designed around items more, and items got designed around champions more, I think, it has led to a real symbiotic relationship, I guess I would say, between, you know, like, one and the other, right? And so the idea that now, yep, I'm playing whoever, right? Like, I'm playing Callista, I go play to the Rune King, I go Runans, right? And those items really, really strongly synergize with me is a pretty far cry from the old days where it's like, Warwick builds Madrid's Bloodraiser, right? Where, I mean, that's a good item, and it's a good item on Warwick, sort of, but not really. Like, it's really expensive, and it doesn't do quite what it should do, um, and stuff like that, so... Uh, so yeah, I guess those are, the, those are some of my, like, big overall thoughts about the game. I also should say, uh, that I've been having fun playing it. Fun asterisk. I definitely do have some, like, you know, toxic, shitty games that I'm just like, oh, God, why did I do this? Um, but so I am, you know, having fun with it, and I do have, uh, the intention to continue screwing around, uh, with folks on, with folks on League of Legends. Yeah, um, I you know I at the very least have been playing and I'm still playing as well just for a little while at least. Just this is a social thing. This is so one of the things that I think has been missing from our group for a while is like a big unifying game that we all play. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, free to play games are easier for that. And the progression isn't so so important in league. Um, at least the way we're playing right now that it's that it's a big deal. Like. You know, if we were all to play Warframe or something, 
it would take a little while for people to catch up to even me, and I'm not super. No, far that's in. the same thing. Like you know, I would love to play WoW with everyone, but it's not like you could come raid with me on a yeah. on a character that doesn't have the proper eye level. Hell, I started. I've been playing FFX IV for like two or three or three or four weeks at this point, um, and I still haven't gotten high enough to like do anything with Nick, who who you know was part of the reason. Was like, oh, I'll play a game with some of my friends, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, the ability to just, like, pick League back up, especially because, like, you know, I mean, the, the part part of this, I guess, is just the way that they structure their store and their shop and everything like that. But, like, you know, if I wanted you to get back into Hearthstone so that we could play Hearthstone together, you would be two years behind and have no cards in Standard except the Classic set, right? Because, you know, it's been two years since yeah. you last played and so all of the cards have kind of, like, rotated out. But it's not like champions have rotated out. It's not like they, like, said, oh, okay, Lucian is, you know, he's a champion. He's going to the Hall of Fame. You know, you can play him in Wild, which is a game mode nobody plays kind of thing. Like, nope, Lucian is still around. Callista is still around. Some of these champions are better than others. Uh, I played a game of Callista, and I was just like, what did they do to this champion? She is so awful and unfun to play as. Um, but, you know, that is... Uh, that is still uh, uh, the champion with the skins that I remember, right? Yeah. Um, so being able to just kind of like walk back into the game and get that again is is pretty nice. Yeah. Um, and I was gonna say like a, another part of that too is is also um, when you're playing with your friends, it's it's cooperative, right? Like if to use your Hearthstone example, we were to get back into it, you know we'd be playing against each other and, you know, just getting, getting your ass beaten by your friends every time is, is, is going to get old after a while. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, I def, I definitely agree with you. Um, but it seems like we're kind of at the end of our, uh, our, our rope for this, unless you've got anything else you want to talk about. Uh, I don't have anything else that I really want to talk about. All right. Well then, uh, I guess let's get into our weeks. How was, how was your week? Uh, my week was really good. I'm actually interested in how, your week was and how 14 has been going for you okay um, uh yeah so i have been playing i played a little bit less this week because i've been distracted with um some other stuff including like mtg so so uh just to kind of before i get into 14 magic gathering arena for like the past week um the format has been such that you kind of have to play every day to keep up with the battle pass they uh-huh. just changed this yesterday um, people who know when this will we'll figure out when we're recording secrets, but um, uh, so for the past week it's been a quest every day, and then three wins give you XP every day, and you kind of have to hit it every time, um, in order to in order to really in order to maximize your XP and in order to to get to the end of the battle pass by the end of the season. They have changed as of yesterday to instead of being. Can you hear that? Can you hear the train? I did uh, hear the train. Uh, I was going to say Hong Kong, but it's <laughs> not a car. <laughs> um, but, uh, sorry. But uh, they changed, as of yesterday, they changed it back to 15 wins a week. Now, it's not 15 wins a week for packs like it used to be. It's a pack every five wins. But it's 15 wins a week to max out the XP. And they lowered the daily quest XP a little bit. Um, and the quests are like, are like a rather Hearthstone quest to generate one a day and max out at three. So as long as you're playing every three-ish days and like clearing stuff out, you have you'll you'll be able to like maximize your XP and also those weekly ones give you roughly um, uh, give you give you a little bit more experience than it was previously. So 
that's been pretty good. But because of that, that whole shenanigans, I was playing pretty hardcore, so I was playing less Final Fantasy. But I am still playing Final Fantasy. I'm only at, like, level 40-ish um, with a new level cap at 70. I'm, like, right below, I guess, kind of the, the end of the base game. Um, uh, and uh, it's been a pleasant experience, but I think most of, like, the, you know, everybody says that the Final Fantasy story is really good. The base game story isn't super great. It's a lot of kind of running around and, like, doing fetch quests and being like, ah, you must do this. Uh, you must, you know, kill, like, you know, I spent four quests basically, like, some guy was like, I'll tell you how to kill the guy if you kill this thing for me. And then I killed the thing, and he's like, ah, you gotta go kill another thing. And then it turns out that he's a fraud and not the actual guy. I was like, okay, I get it. Um, but uh, because there's such a massive XP boost up, right, like, one, I've got my rested XP because I'm not playing as frequently. Two, I'm playing on a new server, so I've got a plus 100% XP boost until I hit level 70. Um, uh, I think the new cap is 80, I think. Yeah, the new cap is 80. I said something before. My, my apologies. The, but with the ex- release of the expansion, the XP boost went from 60 to 70. So I've got 100 XP boost to level 70. Um, and, uh, you know, just a couple little other things. Um, the, oh, uh, part of the pre-order bonus for getting Shadowbringers was you get an earring that gives you, like, another 30% XP boost, I think. So I have literally not had to do anything besides the main quest. I am so far ahead of the level of the main quest, I'm, like, 10 levels ahead of it. Um and all I'm doing are the main quest and then, like, quests that unlock features. Um, like, class features, and there's a couple that unlock, like, retainer features and stuff like that. That's pretty um, cool. What class are you playing? You're playing Machinist? So, I'm not playing Machinist yet, because I haven't unlocked it. I'm playing Bard, because oh, okay. um, you, have to play a, you have to play a character up to 60 to unlock Machinist. Which I think will work out for me, since I have all the side quests left to do still. Um, which yeah, because then you go back down and have to level up 30, Machinist yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's um, funny. I mean, obviously, I worked on that game for years, but I have very little conception for uh, its the quality of its storytelling. I hear, I, I get the sense that it's just kind of like um, its own sort of niche of JRPG storytelling. Because I've definitely heard from some people that it's great, and I've heard from some people that it's just like really cheesy, and uh, and that reads to me like it is kind a JRPG. Of a, yeah, kind of a conventional JRPG, right? Um, also, just like part of it, I I, I I understand is this like connection to some of the operative characters um, who are fun or funny or snarky or whatever, and you just get attached to to these characters. Yeah. And so it's not actually necessarily like the plot of what's going on, but just like going on quests with your fucking buds um, who say funny things while you're while you're running around questing with them. Yeah, and th- there's been some really kind of fun moments, like. Yes, it's cheesy, but it's still like fun, right? Like it's 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 this thing I enjoy in the same way that you chuckle when you see a quest in a while that's like you know, you know the pound and the fury. Ha ha ha! I got that right. Like yeah, um, similar types of things, right? Like I think I mentioned this when I started playing, but like one of the opening cutscenes has one of the kind of like heads of the free companies, which are like the the big in world guilds, yelling snake, like just like you know Metal Gear Solid. Uh, so you know. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely kind of fun in that way, but, you know, I, I definitely, like, part of that does come off in the characters in a way that, like, you know, that they're, they're fun characters to kind of interact with, much in the same way that, like, you know, 
not as as deep, but but in the same way that like say the characters in Mass Effect are fun to interact with, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That ma- that makes a certain amount of um, sense. Yeah, which is, I get that. Which is interesting because it's a massively multiplayer game, right? It's not a. Uh, it's it seems to be kind of the trend for massively multiplayer games to be like single player adventures with other people around. I, 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 that's that's its own mystery to me, but you know, it is what it is. No, I, it's something that, um, you know, I remember feeling that in Legion because you had your, like, little class hall buddies that would run around right. with you and they would say stuff, right? And you'd just be like, oh, you know, Rexar, the hunt is on or whatever yeah. you fucking said. I don't remember. Um, and uh, and I think that, you know, there is something just – I like, honestly, I honestly, if I'm being awful about it, I think it's just kind of Pavlovian. Like, you just hear it so many times that you can't help but form an attachment to it. Yeah. Right? Like, it is more efficient to run around with Rexar than it is to run around on your own, obviously. Um, and so every time you hop off your flying mount and attack a guy, and Rexar spawns next to you and he goes, The hunt is on! You're like, oh, Rexar. You know what I mean? Um, and so maybe there's just something that's, like, monkey brain about the whole thing. But I don't know. One of the They have brought back that bodyguard system. Uh, in the new content, in the new 8.2 WoW content, um, because so 8.2 is you're going to the Naga and you're fighting Queen Ashara and stuff like that, and you befriend a local faction of like a slave revolt, right? So Gilbins and Murlocs and Sea Giants, right, that have all been enslaved by the Naga, um, who have gotten out from under the Naga's like like void old god mind control uh have have this faction or whatever and you can choose one of three of them to like fight with and one of them and she's named nary and she's a rogue and she just runs around but every once in a while she'll do this thing and i swear to god it's like the game rips me out of its point of view and i'm just looking at nary as she's like looking out on a cliff into the middle distance because she says something like she's like one of these days i'm gonna free all of the slaves out there and all of us can just be free. And it's just like, I I don't know who that voice actress is, but it's so earnest how much Neri cares about freeing slaved Gilblins or whatever. And, you know, and it brings like a little tear to your eye. You're just like, oh, yeah, Neri, I can't wait to help you fucking free the rest of these Gilblins. Like, let's do it. Um, so, I don't I, you know, I don't know. I think there's also another like, because I get this feeling around characters in World of Warcraft all the time, right? Like, they release the cinematic where Sourfang goes and recruits Thrall into his, like, nascent uprising or whatever. And, yeah, fucking, dude, Thrall, Thrall has been there since the beginning. I played Thrall in Warcraft 3 20 years ago. And now, you know, he's being called, like... Cincinnatus to come back and and help the horde that he helped found, you know, like that that's something that's that's legitimately moving. And so I think that that kind of stuff definitely happens in in games and it probably happens in games that are more than just uh like JRPGs, but who knows? Like I'll ever ever play Final Fantasy 14. Yeah. So uh what else have you done with your week? Anything uh, anything notable? What else have I done with my week? Um, so, man, it has just been a lot of playing League and a lot of playing. I, I, I like. We talked all about League in the in the front half, uh, and then uh, and then a lot of playing. Um, wow, wow, 
Yes. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of new stuff in WoW that I actually really do want to do, but I haven't had the chance to yet. Uh, probably the most interesting feature that I'm looking forward to is Heroic Warfronts, which I think are out, um, but I don't actually know if they're out yet. Uh, Heroic Warfronts are... The, the, the regular Warfronts are a little bit like LFR in the sense that they are designed for you to win and there's stuff that you've got to do, but you don't have to really coordinate all that much with your team. You just kind of... As long as you're proactively doing stuff, you guys are almost guaranteed to... Uh, are almost guaranteed to win the, the Warfront. There was a problem with AFKs right in the beginning when Warfronts first came out because you could just sit in AFK in them and get like the credit or whatever, but they quickly solved that problem. And ever since then, you know, Warfronts are pretty straightforward straightforward heroic war fronts though uh change things up quite a bit because obviously the enemies are are harder but it is no longer 20 people it is 10 so it literally halves the number of people that you can walk into the war front with and a lot of other stuff will kind of like work to to screw you up um you know enemies that recap places that you have already capped uh the enemy commander will come out and fight the you know like and fight in the battles on the battlefield and so you know if you can't kill him on the battlefield uh you you know you could lose the game uh the enemy the enemy mobs will level up over time just like you kind of like level up your own mobs over time so there's a lot of stuff to the heroic warfronts that i think are very cool and interesting and i'm i'm really excited to kind of like dig into them i just haven't been able to like sit down and get a group together the other thing that they've added is another uh mega dungeon uh which is sort of like karazan that came out in 7.1 of legion the mega dungeons are built to be much longer about twice as long as a, as a typical dungeon that you have to go pretty deep into um and it's something that you could do in like kind of multiple lockouts in the same way that you do you know for instance um uh raids in multiple lockouts where it's right. like okay i'm gonna do you know we're raiding on tuesday and then we're gonna come back to the same lockout and progress further on thursday um but uh but so uh, that is also something that has come out and I'm really interested in, but I haven't yet done. Uh, the other thing that, that has been interesting about 8.2 is this new system called the Essences system. Have I explained this to you? Uh, no, go, uh, you have not. Okay, so uh, the Essences system is really cool and really useful and is kind of the solution to the Azerite trait problems that were sort of identified pretty quickly by the player base in, uh, you know, in, in Battle for Azeroth, right? This is something that you said about, about the, the Azerite traits, which was it was pretty uninteresting to pick between them because it didn't really affect your, you know, it didn't really affect your, your rotation that much. Um, I'm kind of lucky because Arms Warrior, it does affect your rotation a whole bunch, but that turns out to really be the exception to the rule. Most classes just kind of get, like, weird procs that you don't really care about or keep track of because it's just kind of like, you know, how, how, how could you even? Um, but so what they added are these things called essences, which are specifically gained by doing specific content, right? So by raiding, you will get the raiding essence, and there's a raiding essence for damage and a raiding essence for, you know, tanking or whatever. Uh, by doing Mythic Plus, you will get the Mythic Plus essence. Uh, by doing PvP, there's multiple PvP essences. Um, there are, uh, there's like a basic one that you just get from questing. There's one that you get from rep with the new zone. There's one that you get out of Operation Mechagon. And the new essences are really cool, 
and do and all of them have like a, a an ability on them. They all have a passive that like triggers every once in a while, and an active ability that basically adds another cooldown to your kit. So, uh, but the cooldowns all do kind of like unique things. But the coolest thing that I have found about the essences is that they all have kind of like unique lore to them. So like the first essence that you get is like the essence of the black dragon flight because you go to Neltharian's lair and high mountain and kill this guy and you get it and now you can shoot you know now you can shoot fire or kind of like whatever um and then the other thing that's cool about the essences is that they come in different rarities right when you first get it it is uncommon then you can upgrade it to rare then you can upgrade it again to epic um, which is the, you know, the highest tier of, like, essence to get. And the completionist in me wants all of the essences max rank. And it's like, I'm, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to be able to do that because it just requires so much. Like, doing, getting the baseline essence seems to be pretty easy for most of the different pieces of content, you know, in order to get the battleground essence, right? You just got to win two battlegrounds and, like, one PvP island expedition or whatever which is pretty straightforward and pretty easy right but upgrading them past that into something more complex is a bigger ask um and so uh and so i definitely think that they uh they listened to some of the complaints that there wasn't a lot to do when it came to um there wasn't a lot to do when it came to uh battle for azeroth and they added in something that you can really kind of grind hardcore for. So I, I gotta know, buddy. You gotta tell me. What up? Have they have they improved fishing? Because I was really disappointed with fishing in Battle for Azeroth. Really? So they have improved. I actually don't know the improvements that they have that they have included for fishing, um, because I don't do all that much fishing. Uh, and I don't think there's anything on the on the line of the Underlight Angler, but there are. Fish. So, so here's something I do know. In Mechagon, so there's two. So there's two pieces of this. First, there's Nazjatar, which is like the Naga place, right? And then there's Mechagon, which is like a, it's like a kind of a steampunk set of gnomes who just like lived on this island and they started doing like transhumanist upgrades of themselves to counteract the curse of flesh, right? Um, in Mechagon, part Mechagon is is a lot more sandboxy. It doesn't have like a straight like beginning to end storyline there's just like there's dailies there and you do stuff you kill rares and stuff like that but one of the things that you can do is there's like this little invention bot and you can collect like scrap metal and like energy cells or whatever and you and collect blueprints and you feed the blueprints to the invention bot and then you give it the resources and it will spit out items for you um, and one of the items is this vacuum cleaner that you can go up to fishing pools and vacuum clean the fishing pool up and then take it with you and then spit the fishing pool out somewhere else. And apparently you can just like run around and go like zip, 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 zip and get all these fishing pools and then dump them all and fish them all like one by one. So that's something. They also added something which is called like the like the orb of compressed ocean, which I think comes from Nazjatar. And the orb of compressed ocean is just this floating ball of water and you can fish into it, but you can spawn it anywhere. It's like a toy or something like that. You can just spawn it anywhere. You can spawn it at the top of Dazar Alor and then just fish in the top of Dazar Alor. And I don't know what the fish comes out of it or like, but those are the two things that they have done. Uh, those are the two things that they have done with fishing in BFA. Neat. I gotta say that the fishing in, in Final Fantasy XIV is a lot better. 
Yeah, uh, I did, that was always true, right? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, the Interline Angler... I feel like the Interline Angler stuff was kind of a high point for wild fishing. Um, I do think that it suffered towards the end of it. I never got my Underline Angler max because I'm not a crazy person. Um, but it was... Uh, but uh, it was definitely fun while it lasted, so, you know. Definitely the most important thing on my mind. My, my highest level class is actually a fisher right now in Final Fantasy XIV. Um, and that is kind of just mostly coincidence, but uh, uh, it's, you know, I'm definitely intentionally keeping it at pace with, uh, with, my, with my, you know, main class. Yeah, I mean, they've done some stuff uh, that I've liked in Battle for Azeroth when it comes to professions. They added something in 8.1, which was actually very cool, called the Tools of the Trade, which are these epic items that you can get by following uh, a pretty extensive quest line that like sends you into dungeons and stuff like that. Um, and, and so, for instance, the blacksmithing tool of the trade is this like legendary blacksmithing hammer. But what it lets you do is if once an hour on cooldown, on, a, on a, like an hour-long cooldown, you can repair a piece of your gear. Um, which is something that blacksmiths have been literally asking for since vanilla. Um, just like as a cool thing that blacksmiths should be able to do is repair their own gear kind of thing. Um, and it has honestly saved me so much fucking money because repair bills are the primary way that WoW filters gold out of the game. Um, so, you, you know, when my chest piece or whatever is like yellow, pulling out my hammer and, and, um repairing that chess piece actually saves me quite a bit of gold which is pretty nice it also has some other stuff but every profession has like one of these things like jewel crafters have a thing that allows them to unsocket gems which is also something that has not been the case for a long time um i don't know about any of the other ones like i know the engineering one does something special obviously um but that was like a cool thing that they added but even even with that stuff right like i just kind of feel like the structure of wow professions is kind of such that it will never really be something if you are like a professions kind of person like i feel like 14 is always going to be more interesting yeah yeah no it's it's a much more core part of the game um but you know that's the way it goes sometimes that's um, just the way it goes yeah uh the other one of the other things i've been doing this week is i've been catching myself up a little bit on some of the pathfinder 2e posts um, oh yeah we, we should talk about that because i have not read any or talked or heard any of this stuff yeah, so I, I don't know a lot about the mechanical stuff because I haven't uh, dug too deep into it. But the thing I have done is uh, they've essentially updated the entire world of Galarian. Um, it's called, like, the Age of Lost Omens um, to kind of be, like, the Adventure Paths all happened and they ended well and whatever happened in those Adventure Paths is now canon. The world wounds closed. The, uh, you know, the River Kingdoms got established. The... Uh, you know uh, the the Hell's Rebels rebelled, but then they but then Chaliax got some gained some ground in that next campaign, the Evil Campaign, um, and the uh, the uh, the but the Chelish Colony in in Africa rebelled and formed a new nation. Um, and something that they're doing is kind of presenting the whole world, and it took a while for them to reveal kind of like the non you know, pseudo-European parts of Galarian. Even, it even took them a little while to, to do, like, the, the further reaches of it. But it feels like from launch, they're doing kind of the whole known world, right? You've got, like, the 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 African parts down in the south, and you've got, like, the seas, and you've got uh, the various... Uh, they've split into what they call ten meta-regions, and they're doing uh, stories and little info dumps on the meta-regions. I haven't read any of the stories, but the 
info dumps I've read, there's one for the high seas, one for the Mwangi Expanse, which is kind of the Africa, the, the Sub-Saharan Africa equivalent. What, what, what is the high seas? Like the Shackles? Uh, the Shackles, the uh, island that the Red Mantises are from, the weird kind of gold dragon utopia that's called like Hermea or something that's off the coast of... Uh, so it's it's off the coast of the of 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 the the the, the classic one. I can't remember the name of it. The, uh, Veritia. Yeah, Veritia. Um and a couple other things. The high seas is the biggest and kind of most anomalous region because it's like literally all of the ocean. Apparently, there's also there's also the um the spire that like the elves built on top of the last Atlante settlement, and there's a couple underwater regions as well. Um, all this is coming out in the first splat. Um, splats have moved to twice a year hardbacks instead of being once a month uh, softbacks. Um, the first one's called like I think it's called Age of Lost Omens Guide or something like that. Um, but yeah, they've done they did they've done a little bit of stuff on Absalom. Uh, Ab, like uh, you know, Absalom is where uh, the the Path of Society is. It's that island in the middle of the kind of Mediterranean equivalent. Um, so yeah, they've done Absalom. They've done. The high seas, they've done the Mwangi, and they've done the Impossible Lands, which was always kind of my favorite conceptually. It's the uh, the weird part on the east coast of the Africa analog. Um, that's like uh, the two archmages that fought forever. Um, it's got like Alkenstar and, and Neb and Gex and the Black Yeah, Alkenstar is where the guns come from, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, uh, so um, that's all been neat to just kind of read about. Um, a uh, friend of the cast, Mark, has brought up that he's a little bit worried that um, that it's going to be a little bit too static. Like, that, you know, everything's kind of gotten good. Um, um, but there's definitely some threads in there, right? Like, the high sea stuff is definitely very open um, because, like, the pirates are still are kind of being more piratey now. Apparently, the, the twist in Skull and Shackles was that... Maybe not the twist, but part of Skull and Shackles was that the pirates were being paid by um, the Chalish Colony... And that doesn't exist anymore, so it's not happening. So they're you now being more like pirates. Um, uh, the African nations, or the, the pseudo-African nations, are um, new, so there's some instability there. Um, the you know Nex and Geb or whatever they are are still are still like mad at each other, right? Like nothing's really been resolved down there. So <coughs> I think there's more than enough hooks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That July X is still around, right? That's neat. <laughs> um, I do feel that because I the, I do feel Mark's concern specifically um, because I think one of the things that was very appealing about the original version of Galarian that kind of like launched with Pathfinder 1.0 is this idea that like basically everywhere had a problem right that needed to be solved or something and you had all this different you know you have all the all this different stuff that if you wanted to set your game here and do that you could do this that or the other thing kind of and so like. Over the, you know, however many books, right, you know, 120 or something books of uh, the Pathfinder Adventures, obviously those things are going to start getting curtailed, right? And you are going to find a situation where, um, you know, you want people to... You, you want people to defeat, like, the big bad guy, and you want to solve the problem. You know, you want to defeat the pirate, the whatever, the Hurricane King in uh, in the Shackles or whatever. You want to defeat, um, you know, Bard's Lythrune. And in one way, it kind of feels cheap to sort of recommend this, but in another way, it's kind of what I think I want, where it feels like all of those things should just open up new problems to be dealt with, right? Like, okay, sure, 
let's say Bars Lythrun is defeated, Kintargo is a free nation, or whatever, but now they're fending off an attack from, you know, like we did in our game, from whatever that fucking shadow place is called. Um, or, you know, the... Sargava, like, rebelled, but they also got beat up by a bunch of intelligent gorillas, and now the intelligent gorillas are enslaving people, and it's like Planet of the Apes or something. It's a very off-the-wall idea, I know, but it's just the first thing that came to my head kind of thing. And it definitely does sound a little bit like the world has kind of gone from, like, you know, this boundless place of adventure, because there's so many problems that need to be solved, to a little bit of, like, well, all of the problems got solved. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's just what it sounds like. I obviously yeah, I haven't read the blog. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't seem totally like that. For, like I think part of it is that like they've hinted at hooks, but they haven't fleshed them out, so we don't know what those problems are yet, right? Like I don't know how much we knew about, say, you know, what was happening in the River Kingdoms before, you know, the the what's it called, Kingmaker came out. I don't know how much we knew about like, you know, the Chalax like Chalaxian oppression until Hell's Rebels came out. Um, and so I feel like those things will probably get fleshed out down the line. That's like, fair. You, you I can always invent more fair. stuff. Like, one thing that they very kind of uh, obviously pointed out is that Absalom had a bunch of uh, magical defenses that were, like, granted to it by uh, by the guy who died that wasn't supposed to die. I forget who his name is. Maybe Aridin. Aridin? Um, um, the god, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, those are all gone now. Uh, so, you know, there's a vulnerability. Like I said... The pirates are all pirating again. You know, the, the African colonies are kind of unstable. I'm sure they'll come up with stuff. Yeah, um, that's fair. That's fair. I always feel like with stuff like this, you always need a hook. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, won't, I won't name names, but part of my job is, like, looking around for, like, different new indie games that are coming uh, that are kind of like up and coming because you know we're a, we're an indie game publisher and so we're always reaching out to people and saying like hey do you need publishing that kind of thing um, and so I've been doing a bunch of that and part of, and something that I have been noticing more and more and as I'm like actively seeking out all of these different um, indie games and all of these different projects is I'm seeing a certain kind of like generic nature to. Uh, to certain projects where people will set something in, you know, a kind of high fantasy with dwarves and elves and that's it. Or they'll set something in space or they'll set something in like the post apocalypse or whatever, but they're all kind of like the space is just star Wars with another name or the high fantasy is just, you know, Lord of the Rings, but with another name or post apocalypse is just Mad Max, but like with another name kind of thing. And I always feel like there has to be a hook that goes into that kind of lore and that kind of world building in order to sort of set yourself apart from the pack. Um, because otherwise you're just going to look like, you know, like one of those Chinatown action figures that pops up on Twitter that's like, you know, Spider yeah, Boy, and it's like yeah, Spider-Man yeah. with an S, the Superman S-Shield or something kind of like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Um and uh, and I guess I, I haven't heard a hook yet for Galarian um, in the same way that I feel like the old hook for Galarian was Aradin and was kind of like the Pathfinder stuff. And so, like, yeah, this god died and now everyone is like, what? And then, like, you know, everything sort of for the, like, the first – it's kind of like it – does, it doesn't actually mean all that much in the grand scheme of things, right? But in the moment of you are first discovering this new campaign setting, boom, wow. 
Aradin is a god that died and he wasn't supposed to die and here's all this kind of stuff. And that's the hook that gets you kind of into the world and then over time you get more and more invested with like, oh, here's an evil empire, here's a, you know, spooky ghost lich kingdom, here's a whatever. And, you know, same thing even with Starfinder, right? Like, Galarian's gone, and no one knows where it went, even the people who lived through it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's kind of like, wow, I wonder what happened. Yeah, and, um, and listen, I criticized the fuck out of that in our Starfinder casts, right? But it is legitimately, like, that is exactly what I am essentially asking for, right? It is a real hook um, into, into, like, the kind of campaign setting. Like, imagine a version of this where it's like, okay, all of this stuff has definitely happened, but Absalom got nuked or got like taken right. over by Chaliax or something like that. Right. Something like big and monumental where it's like, Oh wow. Like all of our games, the Pathfinder society is now in exile, you know, because the hell knights are, are hunting them down or something. And so it's like kind of transitioning. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, going from, uh, 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 the, the clone wars era to the rebellion era in star wars. Do you know what I mean? I feel like that's what they really want to do. So that the two eras are similar, right? And they have all these signifiers that connect them, right? But they are, like, meaningfully different so that, you know, you interface with the games in a different way. Yeah, I, I think maybe there's something happening with the Rune Lords in Verissia. Um, I bet, like, it would not surprise me if they did something like that. That's, like, how they opened up the last, you know, Pathfinder 1, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh I don't know. Well, we'll find out in two and a half weeks, right? Um, I can't believe it's coming out so soon. I just like always felt like it was forever from now. But yeah, we yeah. are heading to Gen Con. By the way, if you want to come say hi and hang out with us at Gen Con, please feel free. Um, we, we have we have new swag, new tokens. Yeah, yeah, we will be. Yep, yep. And even if you uh, and if you don't want them, you might get them anyway. Put a, put a, put them on put them on eBay. Yeah, yep, I bet that's a good use of your time. Use them as markers for things, you know. Put them, switch them with real poker chips and steal money. Uh, <laughs> that's probably illegal. Don't do that. That is probably uh, illegal. Don't don't. I am not, not liable if you, yeah. you use our poker chips. Yeah. <laughs> it's a deep fraud casinos. It's not ethics, you guys. Uh. And, and other things that you can do for us is you can send us questions, audience. We haven't gotten any yet. There's only five episodes left to the episode 200 spectacular. Yeah, it's going to be the spectacular. Five and a half hours. That's the record to beat. You got to go. Yeah. You got you to do it. Uh, that was roughly 100 questions. So, uh, Wow, really? That's 100 questions? Yeah. I mean, we spent variable time on some of the questions. Right? Yeah, we were really deep on a couple of those questions. I yeah, remember. yeah. As we were wont to do. Vaguely. Uh, Honestly, that whole thing is such, like, a shimmer. It's like I was drunk yeah. or something. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, actually, like, we sat down, we did it, and I, like, stood up five hours later. I'm like, I can't believe we did that, and it, like, worked out. It was um, very fun. I really appreciated uh, all, the, all the love that we got from you guys. Yeah. Tear. So, a tear uh, rolling down my cheek. if you'd like to show us some more love, you can send those questions to podcast at somederpsplaygames.com, podcast at somederpsplay.games, or somederpsplaygames at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave them in comments on this track on SoundCloud. Uh, you can, I don't know, send, don't send me a letter. I don't want to give you my address. Uh, you can, uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, tweet at us. Yeah. Discord. Tweet your questions at it. Discord, uh, Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Patreon. 
Patreon questions will definitely get answered. If anybody... Yeah, they will be first. Ooh, yeah. Yep. yeah, yep, yep, that's, that's the perk. Anybody We're making do... so much of a commitment. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, other than that, leave us a review. Don't leave a question in your review on iTunes, because that won't make a lot of sense. Um, but do leave us a review and give us a rating on iTunes and uh, all the other places you can find that. Um, Twitch.tv slash NurseplayGames. Buddy, did you want to plug your work thing again? Yes. Okay, so this is my last time plugging the work thing. Um, next week, next Wednesday, uh, I will be uh, streaming on the official Akupara Games channel. We have some friends over at Fox Next, which is an indie game studio, um, who are coming out with, uh, who are publishing a game called Etherborn, which is a puzzle platformer, I am told. Uh, I know literally nothing about this game. I have set up a stream, and I've done a little bit of, like, testing to make sure that my stream will be amazing. But, you know, now my my hope is um, that I will be able to... Uh, that I will be able to do, to get through the game without wanting to throw myself out a window because I'm not very, very good at puzzle games. Um, it is... July 18th at twitch.tv slash Akupara Games. A-K-U-P-A-R-A Games. Yeah, uh, and I'm going to try and remember to... Uh, you know, send me the link to that, buddy, and I'll put it in the description, and uh, I'll try and make sure that, that our channel hosts it as well. Okay. That way, if, uh, if you're watching our channel, you'll see it. Yeah, um, perfect. What a great idea. All right. Well, I think that's everything then. Do you have anything else you want to promote, buddy? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.